it was at that time that uh, that I started developing a clientele. Okay. Started bringing people in, and I'm in New York City, and I have you know some celebrities, and you know the salon was a big you know midtown hair salon, uh, and it was fun, it was enjoyable, but Charlie was still getting fucked up, mm, you know. Right. Every hour, I'm in the bathroom taking a hit off a rock just so I could function, just so I could wow. see straight. Right. Um, and that would go on, you know, and then it was like, okay, I have to, I can't do crack anymore. I can't have that super up. And then, then, so I would just do Coke. I would just do blow all mm. day long. And again, I'm making nothing. Man, one of my, this is going to be. My favorite podcast, uh, honestly, I, I'm telling you right now, and, and it's because you say that every week. Uh, no, I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> I say that because how I met Charlie Price is through my wife, and Ben, you know my wife Tiffany, mm-hmm. and, and she mm-hmm. is she's like a rock, dude. It's hard to get in; like it is absolutely impossible to break through. My wife. And she doesn't like a lot of people. She likes certain people. She doesn't like everyone, right? right. Am I being... Oh, yeah. Am I accurate on I this? I mean, she loves me, but... I don't know me. about that. Oh. I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I think you're giving yourself too much credit. Well, this is awkward. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a little awkward all of a sudden. No, she does. She loves you. But my wife went to Charlie, and, and Charlie, and I'll, and I'll give you a little background. Charlie Price and Company... Charlie is a hairstylist here locally in Dallas, has the Dallas office, has Fort Worth office. Am I right? Yep. Uh, looking to expand into Austin, Austin and, and your love, the lovely city of Houston at some point. At some yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> some point. <laughs> but Charlie is extremely well known uh, throughout the country, not just in the, the Dallas market. He's known internationally for, for who, the, the talent that he's worked with and the prestige of people that he's worked with as far as, uh, as being a hairstylist. But my wife, and I'm going to read this to you. She said to Uh-oh. me, get ready. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> you could call. I said, you know, tell me a little bit about Charlie. Just give me some of the, the, some nuggets. She says, you can call him the hair God. Okay. And I was like, okay, wow. the hair God. All right. I said, I've oh. never, okay. That's, that's <laughs> something. And she says, I said, well, I, you know, Give me a little bit more depth in, in background of how you met Charlie. She said, look, it's just this simple. I was asking some of the people in the city. I, I ran into a few girls in the city, uh-huh. and I see their hair, and I was like, man, your hair looks really nice. Who did your hair? Charlie. Charlie Price. Uh-huh. Ran into another young lady. Who did your hair? Charlie Price. Got uh-huh. to the airport one day and met a young lady, and she said, and she said let me guess. Charlie Price did your hair. She said, how do you know Charlie? Yeah, women have really big mouths. They do have big yeah. mouths, right? So Good that's, for you. Yeah. <laughs> so she sought you out. She, she found you, and I'm, I'm sure she probably haunted you and, and, yeah, and uh, yeah, tracked you down in the whole nine. And you're, you're right. You're, I mean, of course, you're married to Tiffany. Yes. I've, you know, just in my uh, brief time uh, with my relationship with Tiffany, you know, she. I could see an onion kind of feel, you know, <laughs> right. layer by layer, peel yeah. by peel. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's true. You, you know, women have big mouths. If they love you, they'll tell 
you know, a thousand people. Yeah. If they hate you, they'll tell 3,000. Right. <laughs> um, so I'm fortunate to be on one side most of the time. Right. Um, when it comes to hairdressing, of course. Right, right. Um, that being said, uh, yes, I've nothing but uh, I've enjoyed getting to know Tiffany very right. much. Um, I started working with Tiffany probably about only, only about a year and a half, two years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Tiffany is not a girl that um, she doesn't really want to work for this relationship. Yeah. For, you know, it, she wants it to just kind of happen. And right. with me, it's, um, you know, I have a whole, you know, long list. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, Tiffany, we'll see you in like four months and uh, you have to send us pictures <laughs> right. and send us yourself and this. And Tiffany's not, you know, she really doesn't want all She just wants to get her hair done. Right. And uh, so she went through the whole thing and the whole protocol. And she, you know, most clients that see me the first time come in exhausted. They're like, right. fuck, I finally made it. <laughs> right, right. I finally am here. <laughs> um, that being said, uh, you know, some of my greatest clients have come through that process and how that works. Right. But that's just kind of how I have run my business the last several years. And, um I've had nothing but true admiration for getting to know Tiffany, getting to know yourself, and, yeah, and yeah. sharing a meal with uh, Judea as well. Yeah. So, yeah. and um, here we are, Derek. Here we are. Here, here we, we are. are. So and, uh, we're gonna go he, back because he, uh, Tiffany, the first day she went and got her hair, she you, you did her hair the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, she came back, and evidently you did. You peeled back the onion, brother, because yeah. she got to know a lot about you as well. Yeah. yeah. And she came and she came back and Ben, I told you this. I called you up immediately. I said, look, we got to get this Charlie on. Yep. Because she said, look, Charlie, this is not Charlie. Charlie has a story. He has a journey yeah, and that, that he's been on. Mm-hmm. And he's had some ups and downs. And you need to ask him about his story. Because mm-hmm. people need to hear this story. And, and that's what we want to do today, Charlie. Mm-hmm. I want to, you know, I know you're highly successful. You're working with some of the biggest right. and finest out there right yep. now yep. as okay. far as, you know, actors, actors, everybody, right? Entertainers, whatever. But I want to know your, your journey. Mm-hmm. I want to know. Are you sure? Char- yes. <laughs> We're going deep down here. Where did you grow up? What was fi- family life like? Uh, Start back from there, Charlie. Give us a little bit of that. Well, it's interesting because uh, I don't know exactly when it was, but I was listening to your podcast. It had to be within maybe a month, maybe two months, but it was on, um, I believe it was on gratitude or Mm -hmm. acknowledging being grateful, Mm -hmm. something in that Mm -hmm. realm. Mm -hmm. It was recent. And, you know, you alluded to one word, um, during that podcast several times as you were being interrupted, as you guys were talking and as mm-hmm. there was banter and it was experiences, mm-hmm. you know, it all comes back to experiences, mm-hmm. you know, being grateful and gratitude in your life comes back to experiences. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm not going to say fortunate. I'm not going to say unfortunate um, or should I say disfortunate, mm-hmm. but I've had a lot of experiences and um, you know, but I think those experiences then mold you to the person that you are today mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and will continue to day after day if you're, you know, if, if you're aware of, of acknowledging them. Right. Um, you know, it really doesn't. I wear, you know, I'm a, when I'm in my salon, I'm, I'm Charlie. I'm the guy. Right. Um, and, you know, I like to think that I have a more extroverted self, but my introverted self... Um, really likes to 
kind of be the component of not being in the center, not of attention. Mm -hmm. I just, I've always veered away from that. I've always taken away from it. And through my success and through that journey, it's kind of put me in that light, which is uncomfortable, which I'm getting a little, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sitting here with Darren Woodson. Um, (laughs) We'll get into that story a little bit later. But, um, you know, Darren, I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, mother and father. Yeah, here yeah. we go. Yeah, really so we're gonna start the argument. Hey, are you are you always talk that shit about the Steelers? So I had to. Do, we're gonna do it live Would on you air. Stop interrupting okay, me. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> he literally said, "I was born in Pittsburgh, and we're already off the rails." Well, that's all you had to say because he's always in, on me about you know my Cowboys. So go ahead, go ahead, um, Charlie. Pittsburgh. Born in Pittsburgh. Um, I was born. I have a uh, younger brother. We're Irish twins. We're eleven months apart. Mm. But. Um, let me allude right away to uh, the 81-82 NFL football season whenever that was uh, on strike. So oh. the 81-82 yeah. football season was on strike and there was no ball being played. So uh-huh. here comes my brother and I right out. Um, my father was a football coach. Right. So as we get to that point. Um, and then I have a sister that's eight years older than I. And um, my I was born into a football family. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my father, uh, when I was born, was coaching at a uh, very uh, well-known, sought-after Western Pennsylvania high school football um, with Woodland Hills. And I'm sorry, yeah. at, that time it was, it, at that time it was Steel Valley. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Woodland Hills yet. Um, the merger between a black school and a white school, kind mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. remember the Titans story, came about where two, two schools merged and came to Woodland Hills. But I was born onto the sidelines of football. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can go back as far as, you know, maybe eight, nine months of just being kind of placed on the sidelines while dad would coach and you know uh, mom Mm -hmm. would work mom was a school teacher dad was a football coach and um you know later in life uh it was i was about nine years old nine ten years old where mom and dad separated Mm. and uh, my father was doing his coaching thing and just i did i had an amazing father i had amazing dad i had but it just wasn't that later in life feeling where you Mm -hmm. get, you know, where you have a dad on your side, Mm -hmm. you you know, I had the way I would describe it best is I had a great dad, a horrible father. Mm -hmm. Um, so that being said, um, mom worked four jobs to raise three kids and mom was a school teacher during the day. She went to, you know, uh, Kaufman's, which was like Macy's or Dillard's did fragrance. And then after that, she went to a telemarketing job and Mm. then she came home. So, you know, my childhood was kind of spent with my siblings. You know, my sister was eight years older than I, and, uh, you know, she was always there after school, oh. and um, brother was, you know, either in, he was always one year behind me until later in elementary school years where he passed me. Um, but th- that being said, you know, my fondest memories of childhood were one how hard my mother worked. Mm-hmm. You know, mom was always going to work. Like, she was never coming home from work. She was always going to work. Right. You know, the mm-hmm. short time that she came home was very brief, so I don't remember that. So it was always mom was going to work. And then my fondest memories with my father were being on the, you know, being at football practice. Right. You know, being on the football field, being in film room. Um, and did you have any thoughts back then that that, that was – what you were going to do, maybe be a coach or be a football player. You know, along the line. I was, I was a very athletic kid. 
once I get into later elementary years, I was a very athletic kid. Um, you know, I was, I kind of did a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. but my brother um, preceded me in, in anything with a ball. Mm. You know, he could throw harder, he could run faster, he right. could jump further, he could. Uh, so it was more of the spotlight was put on my brother. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of, you know, my brother was a great pitcher in Little League. Um, and he was a lefty. So he had a mm. curveball at the age of like eight years old. Wow. You know, he threw a yeah. nasty curveball. And the only reason I got pulled up to pony with him mm-hmm. was because I was the only kid that could catch him. So oh, I played wow. catcher, <laughs> right? But I could. I don't think I had one single at bat. I think okay. I was DH'd every time. Um, <laughs> but I could catch my brother. Mm-hmm. So that was the only reason I really excelled in baseball was because of my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, later in life, I remember us playing on the same basketball team. We went to a Catholic school in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. uh, St. Elizabeth's, and um, it was a big diocese tournament. And I think the final score was you know, 80 to 60 and Mm -hmm. 40 points were scored by my brother. 40 points were scored by Charlie. And Mm -hmm. it was just one of those dynamics that, you know, we always, we grew up in a competitive sports family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And of course, growing up in Pittsburgh, especially in a football family, you know, it's, it's a drinking town with a football problem. Mm. You know, uh, <laughs> you, you're, I was born. I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, what children's hospital in Pittsburgh looks like. I uh, would love to have my phone on me to show you, but every newborn is born with a terrible towel. Oh, right. around I, me. I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but wrong it's, with it's, you, it's you, yeah, yeah. Wrong with what you. a great uh, place. You know, we're, we're winners. That's, that, that's, that's it. We're, we're winners. So that being, that being said, uh, you know, God has his, his team and America has their team, yeah. you know, <laughs> America chooses mediocrity these days. I'm going to oh, use that. Oh my that's God. So good. Um, See, I'm telling you, that's why I take shots early because I know yep. it's coming. Yep. You were, you were being proactive. I was being proactive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, uh, you know, it was, it was growing up in a football family, in a competitive uh, atmosphere with a brother that, you know, you're 11, 11 months apart with, you mm. know, we beat the hell out of one another growing up. I mean, basketball was elbows and, you Mm -hmm. know, and, you know, the, the neighborhoods that we grew up in weren't the best of neighborhoods. They weren't the worst. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like we were growing up in the hood, but you know, everybody Mm -hmm. was proving themselves to Mm -hmm. come up, come up in the, in the neighborhood. And, uh, that came with a lot of black eyes and, you know, bloody elbows. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, my brother and I just had this, um, competitive, attribute and then finally there was a point where i just i could i surrendered like hmm. i just what year I, was this what, what how old were you when this happened you know what i would love to tell you exactly when it was but it had to be somewhere around the eighth grade and it was a sense for me of you know that i was just i was not in my father's eye anymore hmm. my brother has superseded hmm. me he's right. you know he might have a shot in in college he might have mm-hmm. a shot at the bigs right um way over siege Charlie. So now Charlie just can take his step back and figure out what the hell he's going to do. Right. He's not going to be the defensive, uh, you know, the linebacker that his father once thought that, uh, that Mm. named his defenses after. Do you think that drew your father to, to what's your, what was your brother's name? Mike. Michael. Michael. Did yeah. that did that draw him to Michael as far as because he saw how one hundred percent. Yeah, I've yeah. been going through years of therapy over this. Mm, <laughs> of yeah. course, it went yeah. straight to Michael. Everything went mm. straight to Michael. 
where I don't think I, in my father's eye, I don't think he thought I was less than. Mm-hmm. I just don't think he knew that that's where my path was going to take. Right, right. You know, and, mm-hmm. and at that and time, he could relate. He could very much yeah, relate. He could relate. He could yeah. very much Common relate. Interest. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. much so. So, you know, we were. I was talking about a fond memory. You know, one story I can allude to is my father went from Woodland Hills to uh, coach at Youngstown State with Jim mm-hmm. Tressel. Yeah. Uh, the Youngstown State Penguins, which obviously Youngstown borders uh, Western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was only about an hour and a half drive. So we, we spent a lot of time in Youngstown. And uh, there's a football game each year in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, Pennsylvania plays Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the big 33 game. And it's, you know, uh, 30,000 uh, in attendance for a high school football game. Mm. The best of Pennsylvania, the best of Ohio. And, you know, uh, when my father, my father was a defensive coordinator or defensive line coach at that time. And I remember, you know, just being really young and being on the sidelines and just hearing, Charlie! Mike, 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 Charlie, Charlie. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Why is he <laughs> What? Why is everybody? But my father, you know, we know them. We know outside linebackers is oh, the Sam yeah. backer. Sam is backer. A, you yeah. know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mike which, backer. What, yeah. what was the other? Uh, Sam, Sam and Mike. Will. Will. Sam and Will. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but my father nicknamed it Charlie and Mike because it was just, <laughs> you know, it was easy for him. Mm-hmm. You know, you had, right. you know, Charlie weak side, Mike, Mike strong side. Right. And it wasn't until years later that I realized that Mike was the strong side. <laughs> <laughs> But you're a, hearing a, this a, of course, see, it's see, another shot. Here we go. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. I didn't realize <laughs> all the jabs I took. But that being said, um, you know, I hit, I hit a point in my life where I just realized that, you know, Mom was always gone. Mm. You know, Mom was always gone for work. Right. Dad was at this point now really distant because he was now moving into Notre Dame and working with um, uh, Mike Dick at, the, in, mm. at the, the Chicago Bears. Dad was gone, so I was kind of let in this place where, you know, eighth grade. I think I was six. I was sixteen in the eighth grade, so oh, wow. I failed so many. I just they kept telling me I'm getting held back, but basically that's just a nice way of saying <laughs> you can't say your ABCs. So you can't you say know, your I found that out later that it was just you just failed, Hold like up. you failed. You Hold couldn't up. go any further. Wait a minute. Yeah. You were 16 years old. You were not 16 years old. I think I was 16 old. in the eighth grade eighth because grade. my brother passed me. So I was in the eighth grade. He was off to high school. So you can imagine what that does to that, a older yeah, brother. That hurts a little right, bit. Yeah. Especially at that age. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. I think we can all, you know, for sure. Men being men, you go back to those and you yeah. want to be the, you know. Yeah. But now looking back on it, it's like, wow, that could really. That could really mess you up. Yeah, Um, we're wide open on the show. So that being said, you know that hit. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was at those. It was at that age where I kind of had to find my outlet and find Mm -hmm. out what my being was going to be because it wasn't going to be football, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't going to appeal to my father. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Or at least I thought I wasn't going to appeal to Mm -hmm. be this. You know, this son that he always, the oldest son he yeah. always wanted. Yeah, let, let me pause you right there for because I have a quite a few friends who are coaches' sons, yeah. and now those same guys are now coaches themselves, and then other friends that are just coaches and they didn't have. It's a very interesting world, the and, and relationship between a father and a son, where the father's the coach. Mm-hmm. I'm curious because you mentioned your mom was gone all the time. You mentioned your dad was doing this thing. Where did you look to for guidance? I mean, w- what was your 
you know, how did you learn things? Where did you, where were lessons learned? I guess is my question. That's, that's where the story begins. <laughs> oh, there we go. Um, I found it on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, I found drugs and alcohol. I found a dope dealer. I found mm. uh, idols that I looked. I, lo- I found it in gangbangers. I found it in. Um, I found it in the neighborhood. I found it in the city. You know, we grew mm. up in a suburb of Pittsburgh, but the city was so close. And you know, Ben, we were talking earlier. You know, your your right to manhood when you grow up in the city is. You know, I wasn't given a driver's license or taken to mm. the DMV to. You know, I I don't even know if my father had a car in my childhood. I think they just you know uh, got around you know, with friends, but they just couldn't afford a vehicle. Um, but when I got my bus pass, hmm. that's when, that's when shit got real for Charlie, yeah. you know, because you I was, I, when I got my bus pass, when You're I was accessible now. Yeah, huh. and you know, I, I, I always, I like the kids from the other borough. Uh, it was a borough outside of, um, where I grew up and these kids were you know, they were the fighters. They were the, you know, the pot smokers. They mm-hmm. were the troublemakers and they were the tough kids, you know, right. and I migrated towards them. I migrated towards that. And growing up where we did, it was, uh, you walked, I walked to school every mm-hmm. day. You know, we didn't get, you know, we didn't go to the bus stop and get on the bus. We walked. And from a really young age, I was, you know, uh, mom and dad told me, you know, you're not going to walk past the barber shop. You know, just stay away from the barbershop. You don't need to go around the barbershop. And, you know, for me, as I got accessible to the city, I started, you know, going by the barbershop. And Mm -hmm. I realized the barbershop was a place where all of these men would just congregate. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, look at all these dads. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Okay. Um, And... Then I was asked, well, just come by after school every day and sweep hair and strap razor blades, run for coffee, mm-hmm. you know, do whatever. Uh, play dice with us in the, you know, uh, it <laughs> well, was just this up. right You of, grew up fast. Right away. Yeah. And yeah. it was that moment that, and Darren, I loved it. Oh. That, was the, that was the sick part. Was I was a sixteen year old kid and I wanted to be forty seven. Mm, yeah, wow. Yeah, you, know, you know, I wanted what? to be yeah. forty seven that day. Yeah, you know, look, growing up, my, my father would take us, and my father wasn't in, in my life as much, but he would come by. He'd see us every once in a while, and he's like, "God, what's the last time we got your haircut? Come on, I'm gonna take you to get your haircut." Right? <laughs> we would go to the barbershop, shop. and it was probably the first time where I would see my father interact with people. Mm-hmm. And he was the same way, you know, gamble, you know, talk like the, the language is different. Everything changes. They're all the talking shit in there. Mm-hmm. They all know each other, have grown up around each other. It's a different atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And it's as a child being in there watching it, it's one thing because I'm usually there and then I'm out. I'm mm-hmm. gone. Of course. But I couldn't imagine being there all the time. Right. Running errands and doing those things. Right. Now you're you're a grown ass man at that point. Right. So I'm in seventh, seventh, eighth eighth grade and just mm. you know, in enjoying that but because I was wanted, Darren. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I I was wanted. People mm. wanted me. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna say I grew up in a fall with a father that didn't want me. No, it, it had nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. But it was the feeling, the void that lived inside so, this yeah. little boy mm. that yeah. he always wanted. I mm. wanted affirmation i wanted validation mm-hmm. and these guys gave it to me right um 
So I, I hung out there. I hung out there long enough in order to get the rite of passage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, later in life, I realized what the barbershop was. Right. You know, and it was a, it was a front to, you know, mob ties. And it, right. was a, it was a front to, but for me, it was a front to freedom. It was a mm. front to adulthood. It was a front to be able to, to be something that I wasn't. Right. You know, I was mm. a superhero in that place. Mm. And then through the neighborhood, through the city, through people knew who I was, mm-hmm. you know, that's, you know, you stay away from that. You don't, he doesn't, the truancy officers can't go to his house. Right. Huh. Um, so it was, you know, I knew that there was power being played. And I, at that age, you start to understand what that is. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you know who the toughest kid in the school is, mm-hmm. you know, who the toughest kid on the block is, you, right. you know, and you like that feeling. Uh-huh. Um, and, like I said, at this time, dad was, dad was removed, fully divorced now. Uh, you know, I would see my father on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great story about my one, one thing that just popped into my head. I haven't told this story in a long time. But uh, my mother, we had a weekend with mom. And we were young. We was probably seven, eight years old. We had a weekend with mom. And every time dad would have us on the weekends, you know, it would be Friday. If, in high school, it was Friday night game. Mm-hmm. Saturday night, Saturday film, Sunday was off. Yeah. Okay. So that's how it went. Saturday game, Sunday, we would be in film all day long. And then Sunday we got dad and dad would always take us to the zoo Mm. every weekend, every Sunday, dad took us to the zoo. We'd come home. Guys, what'd you do with your father? Football, film, zoo, football, film, zoo. There was some random, maybe it was Martin Luther King Day, maybe it was President's Day where we had a Monday off of school and mm-hmm. mom says, you know what, you, you guys always go to, you know, the zoo with your father. I want to I take you to the zoo. So we go to the zoo with mom. My brother and I are mind blown. There's giraffes, there's zebras, there's piranhas, there's an aquarium, there's tigers, there's bears. My mom's just, guys, you guys go to the damn zoo with your father every goddamn <laughs> week. Of what? It, why are you so... No, 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 mom. The zoo that dad takes us to is a dirt circle and a horse runs around in a circle. So my father took us to the horse track and called it the zoo. (laughs) (laughs) Bravo, pops. Bravo. Rest rest in peace, bravo. Well played, sir. (laughs) I would just love to be on the back end of when mom approached dad with that one. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What? So, so when, when I say dad was removed, dad was removed. Dad was very much removed. And, um, you know, fast forward into, into into those years, it was just, it was part of me. I was just built into the racetrack. I was born into the football field and the barbershop. It was just, so then I, I was built into this man, man's world. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, then I kind of liked being in the barbershop. I kind of liked the idea of, you know, I think they maybe cut three guys' heads a day, but I enjoyed that part of it. Mm. So then I found out that you could work with, you know, you could work with women. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what? I was 16, 17 years old now, going through puberty, finding yeah. out that I could be around women all day long. <laughs> Sign me, Sign me up. Yeah, right. I'm all in. <laughs> and. At this time, I had already found booze. I was already, I was already getting drunk probably four or five days out of the week. 
Mm. Oh, you know? man. Yeah, I, like I loved getting You're drunk. an extremist? To the utmost possibilities. Mm. Yes, okay. absolutely. I don't do, any, I don't do anything once. Mm. You yeah. know, and right. if I did it once, I can do it better the next time. So, yes, I'm very much, whether it's an addictive personality mm-hmm. or an extremist, yes, yeah. I'm all of those things. Okay. Um, so, you know, I found, uh, I found, you know, obviously I found my dad's beer. You know, finished mm-hmm. his beer off, got that little buzz, got that little pang. Uh, I like that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I already started with the booze 15, 16 years mm-hmm. old. I was already getting drunk like three wow. days a week. I like that feeling. Yeah. Didn't have to feel anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made me feel, made me feel good, mm-hmm. you know, as, you know, as it does. And then it was, it was coming into those later years, uh, 17, 18, where then I found, uh, I found cocaine. Mm. Found cocaine, and uh, that was that was wow. awesome. Uh, at sixteen, to Dude, feel I, what that felt like. Okay, okay <laughs> tell me this: what, what, Do you remember the first time you saw cocaine? Yes, um, it was. Yes, it was in the it was in the neighborhood. I I saw it and I saw it crack before I saw cocaine. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. so I saw it being I saw it being cooked. Right. Um, and I can, I mean, I'm seeing it now, envisioning it. I'm, I'm smelling bacon, it. It's bacon, just going, soda, going back. Yeah, I saw the whole, but I saw the whole, I saw the whole process. <laughs> right, right. And then it was maybe in within that time frame that I saw powder and I mm. related to the, you know, I guess I saw enough movies to mm-hmm. maybe understand what Put the white powder together, was. Yeah. Um, but it, yes, I remember the first time I did it. I remember the first time I saw it and I was terrified of it mm. Yeah, uh, because that was, that was a drug, right? Mm-hmm. You know, getting drunk in the woods with a six pack of natty ice, mm-hmm. you know, from, you know, some guy that would in the neighborhood that would always buy me, you know, mm-hmm. a, a fifth of mad dog or, you know, whatever I wanted to get drunk would, but that was a drug. You know, right. you had to. You couldn't do that one. Isn't it crazy though? I mean, we're talking about because you're starting to experience things. You start to experience alcohol. And you go. know what alcohol is because mm-hmm. you've seen so many people. Probably similar to myself, I saw everyone drank. Mm-hmm. My uncles drank. My mother never drank, but my uncles and sure, uh, my father and everybody else was drinking. But it was a total separation when you see drugs, like oh, it yeah. totally catches you off guard to yeah. say, okay, that's drugs. It's okay to, to partake in drinking. It's no Absolutely. big deal. But now Absolutely. I'm going to the next level Correct. if I'm taking the drugs. And I never found, you know, like I never found the, the weed, the gateway mm-hmm. to, the, to the weed, to the pot, smoking. I just, you know, I did it, but I never enjoyed it. It was mm-hmm. never something. I was coughed. I was just never, never enjoyed smoking pot. Um, but, boy, I loved cocaine. Mm. That first time I found my, I found my best friend. I found mm. my newfound love. Mm. I found everything I ever needed in myself and out of everybody else in that white powdery wow. substance. So, so before you tried it, though, you said you were scared. What was the desire to do it in that um, moment? Do you remember? It, the people that I was with. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the people. I mean, God, I was yeah. hanging out with some real gems. Mm. Um <laughs> If if those people aren't dead or in prison right now, I'd be shocked. Mm. You know, I could mm. go around that circle and just think, you know, God, what a wow. what a what a interesting group of people I aligned myself with. But I found it and I loved it. Mm. 
So it was this point where I wanted to kind of get into hairdressing. Mm-hmm. So I catapult into uh, doing so, and you know, I find out you go to beauty school. Well, mm-hmm. there comes the conversation with my father. Uh, mm. Dad, high school's not looking like a great option for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go to beauty school. What mm. do you think? Yeah, An NFL football, football coach, coach looks at his yeah. oldest son and says, oh, you know what? Good, good, good job. Good for you. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. It was, I was alienated from that moment. Mm, oh, you know, man. there was, then I knew those feelings that I had being younger, my brother right. kind of over exceeding mm, me. And mm. I knew that those were gone because now I had zero relationship with oh. my father. Um, never understood it. Didn't get it. Um, and you know, that just wasn't for me, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it was in my father's eyes, you know, it was never good. Nothing besides football would have been good enough. Right. Um, so that kind of ended our relationship until a few years before he, uh, until like a year before he passed away. Uh, we had time for closure, but you know, my, then it was gone. There was no more. You relationship. were 17? There, was, there was no more relationship. Yeah, I was 16 or 17 yeah. at that point. Okay. Yeah, because like I said, I was in the eighth grade, mm-hmm. got my bus pass, um, and I knew that I wasn't going to be going to high school. Right, mm. right. Um, showed up to high school. I think I lasted 20 minutes. Um, mm. And when I say 20 minutes, I don't think I'm exaggerating. I think I went in for half day right. and was like, this isn't so, for me. Yeah. I got in two, one fist fight in the parking lot. And then somebody beat the hell out of me in the bathroom in like lunch between lunch. So Mm -hmm. I think I left around one o'clock and that was it. Mm. Um, So then I went and hung out in the park and went and hung out in the hood and got drunk and got high and stole and beat people up and, you know, played Mm -hmm. the, played the game. Right. And then I, uh, you know, I finally got enough audacity to go to beauty school, went to beauty school. Got a GED. Okay. okay. Got a you got GED. GED. Got, an, okay. got a good enough diploma. Right. And, um, you know, it was funny. Whenever I went to get my GED, my, my mom drove me to get my GED because she wanted me, she wanted to see that I actually went. went right. Yeah. <laughs> now, and, did your uh, mom at this time, did your mom know about yeah, the she, drugs, she knew the shit drinking? Was going, she knew shit was going downhill. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She knew shit was going downhill mm-hmm. and she knew that I wasn't, you know, things were, things were real rocky at that mm-hmm. point. I just found myself encapsulated with the wrong people right on every end north south east and west i couldn't turn without you know and at that age you're just looking for validation so you know i found it but i found it with the wrong people and um where you get your ged in pittsburgh is in the hill district Mm -hmm. in the hood i mean it is there's the hood right there's the projects there's the hood and then there's the hill i don't think a white kid has ever seen the hill district before (laughs) But that's where my dope man lived. Right. I cop dope, you know, in the hill. So uh-huh. when mom dropped me off at this business school, Conley, where you went and got your GED, she said she was just, she knew I knew my way around mm. and she didn't know how. Right. <laughs> she didn't know yeah. how I knew my way around the hood as well as he I did. You have a car. Exactly. <laughs> you know, how the hell pass. did you end up up here? <laughs> so the, if that wasn't the moment, then it probably came a little bit later. But yeah, that, that time mom, mom knew, right. mom knew it was a downward spiral right. heading for uh, 
catastrophe. And it did, you know, uh-huh. it, it did. It went as far down as you could go. Um, went to beauty school. Wait, 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 wait. So talk about that. What was that? Did, was there a conversation before you went to beauty school? Did you have this conversation with your mom? I know your father I was I remember having protection. it with my father. Mm. Scared shitless. Right. You know, and, and I recall a punch being thrown. I recall mm. aggressive. I recall, you know, I recall leaving there wanting to beat him up, but I couldn't. He mm. was just, he was big, big man, stronger right. than I was. Mm. There was no way I could beat up my father. Mm. Um, my father had a car. My mother, my mother did not. Mm-hmm. So on the, when I turned that age, I remember my father giving us his, uh, you know, I had his car on one Sunday and I took it into the, the park, into the, the whole district where, mm-hmm. you know, I copped. And um, I remember that the, the part with my father was this moment is I got, I was getting pulled over and I had my father's car mm. and it's winter in Pittsburgh and it's a, it's a Chevy trailblazer. Never forget it. And I went and copped dope and I didn't know what to ask for whenever I was with my dope man. Mm. I just heard it asked for rock right. or white mm-hmm. uh, or H. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to try H. I didn't know what H was. So obviously that's heroin. heroin. I yeah. wanted, I got, I mm-hmm. picked up a couple, uh, but it was different. It was sold different. It was in balloons. It was in oh, balloon, yeah. balloon yeah, knots. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. in a plastic bag, uh-huh. you know, right. like, like white or the, you know, I'm so ignorant. Right. I had no idea. I didn't right. even know if Google exists, I would have asked Google, how do I cop? <laughs> how do I cop crack? Right. Um, and long story short, I'm driving back to my father's to return his car to him. And then I would take the bus back to my mom's house. Mm-hmm. I get pulled over. I see the lights go off mm. and I have three balloons filled with heroin. What do I do? You just swallow it. Tell no, me. hell oh. no, Darren. Took them out of my pocket and I shoved them down the radiator. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, oh, wow. so I shoved balloons down the radiator. So here we are. It's, remember, let's go back oh, to it's freezing, freezing cold, cold in yes. Pittsburgh. <laughs> and the, you obviously put turn the heat on. Right. So I got pulled over. I got, I think I got let go on a warning. There was, I didn't use my blinker, whatever it was. Get back to my dad's house, drop the car off, kind of out, you know, the drugs. So, you know, eh, they're in the car. He'll never find them. Right. No worries. He'll never find them. I'll never find them (laughs) until the next morning when he turns his car on and that radiator turns on Mm. and melts those balloons and melts the heroin and blows through the car. car. Oh, Oh my God. So there was my first ass kicking from my father. (laughs) And when I say ass kicking, you know, like, you know, when the, uh, when the coyotes chasing the roadrunner and he's running from him and and all of a sudden that damn coyote hits a wall and you can see his like silhouette in the wall. I saw my silhouette in the drywall. Right. That my father yeah. threw me through on my way. So out he, the went, door. he must have went to your mom's house. <laughs> he and kicked your ass. So yeah. I got my yeah. ass kicked for that. That nixed my relationship with dad. And it was at that point that mom knew shit was bad. Right. Yeah. You know, when mm-hmm. it wasn't, I mean, I don't know how much worse it needed to get, but when she found out it was heroin, it was like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're not smoking joints on the corner at the bus right. stop anymore. Right. Um, so. Again, at that time, it was just, I was just running rampant. I mm. didn't, I have a mother that works four jobs, mm. father that's removed, sister now that's off to college. Mm. Uh, I had no accountability. Mm. And 
all I knew is, is I wanted to go to beauty school because it was all chicks and me. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. there were, I think there were like 20 girls in my class and it was, I was the only straight dude. So mm. it was just, it was awesome. Yeah. You know, again, I was put on this pedestal, you know, or should I say I put myself on this pedestal mm. really young mm. and, um, I enjoyed it. I loved it. I loved doing, I, I found something that I really did enjoy. Okay. Did it come easy to you? No. So you had to work. I did. I, I did have to work, but I now looking back at myself then was that I did have a lot of natural ability, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I liked it so much that I wanted to keep absorbing and keep learning right. even through my mental you know, the mental case that I was, I wanted to learn. I wanted to, I wanted to be great. Right. You know, like mm -hmm. I found out, like I could really be great at this. Mm -hmm. um, that must've felt it, so good to have it that. Was, it was a great feeling to know that you wanted it. But yeah. then again, there was a lot of work that was going sure. to, to need yeah. to happen. But in to order. know that you excelled at something. Though. Absolutely. Must have been an awesome feeling. It was a, for the first it, time for in your life. For the first time in my life yeah. that I knew that I was really good at it. But it's funny that you say that. I'm not sure I felt it because mm. I was so high. I was so fucked up. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't feel much of anything in those teenage years just because I numbed myself with yeah. anything that I could get my hands I, on. I was going to ask, did the, did the draw to go to beauty school and, and become a, you know, do hairstyling, was that... Because you, you almost like called me a beautician. Didn't Sorry, you? I don't know. It almost I don't know. I saw the <laughs> the spirit of the question was. <laughs> Sorry, I just have to call you out. On Were that. you drawn initially to the environment or to the actual skill? Damn, that's a good question. Of of it was being, the, I'd be I'd be lying if I said it wasn't the environment. I was right. just chasing chicks. That, that's what mm. that was my mm. that was my theory was that yeah no yeah. I I was just this was a great outlet for. For Got girls, it. you know, that was it. I, mm. Again, 17-year-old boy. Yeah, you know, no doubt. I, yeah. mean, I, I Dude, You knew the I game. I was born no on the football field. Everybody not with, else a, pair, not with a color brush say, in my hand. You're actually brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I didn't have a curling iron in my hand, you know. We're, I wasn't jump roping. And, we're the you know, morons playing with, for playing football. Yeah. You, you yeah. figured it no, out. I wasn't. I was, I was, I think I was still playing with my sister's Barbies, you know, before. <laughs> you know, it was just, it, no, I enjoyed being around women mm -hmm. yeah i enjoyed yeah. there was something that i just enjoyed being around women and it's an interesting catalyst today i still enjoy being around women i get along well with women and it goes back to that time where i looked for that validation with my father and wanting that validation that i never could get on the football field mm -hmm. but i got it yeah. with mm -hmm. it, what encapsulates the beauty industry which is 95% female dominant. Right, right. Um, but I also knew that, and I also knew how to play my hand. I knew that there weren't many straight guys that were doing, that were in beauty yeah, school. Right, right. You know? Um, and I was one of them. So I played that card, and I played that role, and I learned, I loved the gift of gab. I loved flirting. I loved being, you know, I loved building that relationship. You know, right. because even if I couldn't cut your hair, I could probably get you to smile. Mm -hmm. if i can do that then you might come back mm -hmm. you know so right. that's what kind of transcended at that point right right so so did you were you working you weren't working for self you worked no, for no, someone no, no. you took your working, first job i was working tell for, us about your first job i was working uh as an assistant um 
you know, when you go to beauty school, you only learn so much that the state's going right. to give you. Mm-hmm. You know, the state's going to give you so much, you know, that you can just pass a beauty. But you assist. You go mm-hmm. and um, at this point now, I'm assisting in Pittsburgh, and I want more than what Pittsburgh has to offer. Mm-hmm. I mean, Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. like I said, let's go back to it's a drinking town with a football problem you know it is not a place for you know somebody charging five hundred dollars for a haircut you know i think the most expensive haircut in pittsburgh was probably 55 dollars. right you know it wasn't a place where i really i wanted to be in beverly hills Mm. i wanted to be in the spotlight i wanted Mm. to be um in new york i wanted to be anywhere but pittsburgh so that's what took the leap to wanting a geographic change. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's when I ended up in New York City and uh, moved to New York when I was 18 and got a job as an assistant. Uh-huh. And I was assisting, I was schlepping, I was sweeping hair, I was doing just all the grunt work that you do yeah, to put right. your time in, in right. any any job. Yeah, absolutely. It's no different than being a, you know, a laborer for a roofer. Or, uh-huh. uh, doing anything you had to do or a rookie in training camp right. or anything... You, the world we live in now, we live under this umbrella of entitlement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just something that our generation will never really have the audacity to wrap our minds around because, you know, in any field that you go in, you had to put in the work that's behind right. it. Yeah. yeah you right. know, whether yeah, you were, you know, soon to be Hall of Fame, you know, Dallas Cowboy or you were a acclaimed hairdresser, it didn't matter where you were. You had to put the work in. Put the work in. in. Yeah. And, that's when I knew, that's when I went, that's now when I look back at my mom. I knew I had a football coach for a father, and I knew I had a worker for a mother. Right. So there, now I knew where, you know, I got my mom's uh-huh. work ethic. Willingness. Oh, yeah. I just, yeah. I got every bit of it. I just watched the woman work, so I right. figured this is how you do it. Uh-huh. You just work. And I put the time in, I put the time in, and then finally I got... I don't want to, like, I, I got my moment, but I got my time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not one that believes in being in the right place at the right time. I think you work to put yourself in the right place or the right room or in front of the right human mm-hmm. or you don't just end up there. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a, a hairdresser that gave me a shot. And that's whenever I assisted him on the first New York City Fashion Week. Mm. And I looked at this. And oh, I was like, oh, wait, wait. Fashion Week? Fat, yeah. How old were you at this I time? I was in nine, 19, 19 years wow. old. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Okay. Yeah, baby. Welcome to Biggs. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, mm. Everything that a 19-year-old boy could, I was Man. a walking hard on. Man, this is... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was going to say. Again. You know, there were models everywhere. everywhere. And they yes. don't care. They're changing. To, I mean, it was just... It was, I was just, I was in heaven. I found the pearly gates and I ended up there. How much shit fashion. talking were you doing to your buddies back? Like you didn't go to high school. Correct. Correct. So at this time <laughs> I didn't really have many friends. Right. I had the dope man. Mm. I had, you know, the guys on the block. Right. But I didn't have friends. Mm. I mean, I had guys I rolled around with, but they weren't, it's right. not like I was telling them like, hey, you should see. No, yeah. they, it was just, there was, it was very one dimensional. Mm-hmm. And it was, how do we get into the most trouble or get the most fucked up that we right. can? Right. So it was this sense of, now this guy that I was assisting, he was an Australian hairdresser and uh, straight as well, mm-hmm. which, you know, in the early 2000s, late 90s, that was kind of unheard of, right. you know, mm-hmm. for men 
you know, to be at that level mm-hmm. and to be straight. So it was like, I, you know, he was a, he was a boxer in Australia at one point. Mm. And there was something that he saw in me that mm-hmm. he saw in himself and he took me under his wing and he put me out there. And, um, that's when my career kind of, you know, where I knew that I wanted more and I just needed to work at it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's when I started, you know, uh, doing fashion week, going on fashion shoots, going, mm-hmm. being the, you know, um, my passport's been stamped, I believe, before I got my new one. I think it was stamped 32 times to Paris, wow. to Paris, France, but I never once ate a croissant in Paris. <laughs> Come on. I was there to drop off bags and get back on the red eye back to New York. Wow. Like, that was my yeah. job, you know? Uh-huh. So, um, but I put in that work and I loved it. I enjoyed it thoroughly. And that was the moment when I realized you know, this is great, but I want, I want to actually be behind the chair. Mm, Like I don't want to do all this camera work and have agents yelling at you and managers yelling at you and celebrities yelling at you. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's, it was just too many people yelling at you and just not enough. I wanted, I wanted to be behind the chair. I wanted to cut people's hair. I wanted to color hair. Mm -hmm. And, but it was through those experience, that experience that I got to go through that and realize, okay, I don't love this. Then I moved on to the next one. So then I started working and uh, developing my craft as a behind-the-chair hairdresser. And it was, uh, it was, that's when I realized how bad I was at it. Mm. You know, when I mm. got into the New York City salons and it was like, wow, I'm really not good. But mm. I still had this, you know, charm about me. I was still a straight guy. I still mm. had this aura. I still had this presence that I enjoyed. So I kept going at it. And... Um, it was at that time that, uh, that I started developing a clientele, okay. started bringing people in and I'm in New York city and I have, you know, some celebrities and, you know, the salon was a big, you know, midtown hair salon uh-huh. and it was fun. It was enjoyable, but Charlie was still getting fucked up, mm. you know, right. Every hour I'm in the bathroom taking a hit off a rock just so I could function, just so I could see straight. Right. Um, And that would go on, you know, and then it was like, okay, I have to, I can't do crack anymore. I can't have that super up. And then, then, so I would just do Coke. I would just do blow all Mm. day long. And again, I'm making nothing. Mm. I'm making zero. Right. So it, you know, then turn into who am I robbing? Who am I going to steal? What car can I jack? Mm. You know, who can I beat up in the subway and take their wallet? What tourists are going through? You know, uh, holiday season in New York was fantastic because it was always tourists around. You right. could always snatch yeah, and grab. And, yeah. you know, um, I was fortunate because I was good at it, you know, mm. and I never really had legal precedence when it came to that, you know, mm-hmm. or I never got caught. So mm-hmm. I always just, everything kind of came easy in that sense. Um, but then as my career developed, it was just getting worse and worse. My, you know, me, I was just, I was in a really bad way. Right. So were you getting this time and you're getting all this experience? Are you getting, even though you're loaded, on yeah. drugs. Yeah. Are you getting better at your trade? Oh my God, I'm killing it. I'm latching on to some of the best in my craft, mm. the best in the business, and I'm learning and I'm absorbing and I'm taking in. And yeah, I, you know, I'm just getting it at such a young age, mm-hmm. right. you know, where I'm working with some of the best hairdressers in the world, right. you know, and they're in their 50s and their 60s. And I'm, you know, now embarking on 20, right. You know, and I'm just, you know, I'm charging $300 for a haircut. 
-hmm. you know, Charlie, you can't tell them how old you are because it'll devalue your service. You know, so uh, I was told, yeah. you know, tell everybody you're 26. Mm -hmm. You know, you're 26, you're 26, you're 26. So I lived in this 26 aura. Boy, 26th birthday really felt shitty. I was <laughs> <Yeah>. like, man, <laughs> something monumental was supposed to happen. But um, yeah. that being said, no, I was I was just absorbing so much, Darren, that my craft was just getting better and better and better. We're going to take a real quick break from today's episode, something that we've been talking about here uh, for, for some time. If you've been listening, you know, uh, but we have finally arrived at the grand opening of the new expansion at Choctaw Resort and Casino in Durant, Oklahoma, just a short one hour drive from DFW. Um, the time is finally here. I cannot wait for you guys to be able to drive up there and experience this Vegas-like resort um, with the pools, the restaurants, the concerts. The casino is, is like none that we've ever seen. Uh, but finally, it is here. And so I encourage you guys, starting next week, drive up, take a look, spend the night in the beautiful hotel rooms that they've got. It is worth the drive. Take the family, pick a show. There's an awesome, awesome lineup in the month. Jump on the website. But I, I highly, highly encourage you, go experience the incredible resort of Choctaw Resort and Casinos. See, that, that's the interesting thing because the stereotype I have in my mind is that drug addicts are bums. They don't do anything. They don't excel. They don't have ambition. But you were the exact opposite. I still had to go to work so I could buy dope at the end of the day. Mm. Right. Yeah. So I knew the order in which I had to. I, I mean, if I, if I didn't work, I couldn't buy dope. Yeah. yeah. Working addict. You know, yeah. so I knew that I, you know, I wasn't getting it from my mom. I wasn't right, getting right. it from my dad. It's not like things were just, you know, I had this cush little, you know. Um, no, and then I worked for a job. I worked in a butcher shop after work. And then I went and worked uh, the door at a nightclub. And, mm. you know, so I was always working. I was yeah. always in it. But I knew the only reason, it wasn't for financial freedom. It right. wasn't for, it, was it wasn't to get a bigger apartment or buy a new sofa. It was just to buy dope. Yeah. I needed nothing besides to fuel Wow. Mm. the drug addict that you know that lived within um but yeah i was a full-on bum yeah. i was a full-on shitbag i mean i was robbing people you know the moment i walked out from where yeah. i was robbing my own mother right i was robbing my grandmother mm. i was going to any means no i was a complete shithead i just happened to be in a really talented hairdresser right, right. so yeah. when was the moment something had to happen charlie that i mean the first time Something uh, I've had. Did, did you even know that this is who you were, or were you just going as a hairdresser? Or no, as a, as, drug as a drug addict. Um. So it was the first time. Was mom took me to mom took me to rehab before I was eighteen mm. because it was uh, what was it? it was three? Yeah, it was three o two. So in when you called the police and you had an involuntarily admit somebody in for whether you're just going to the drunk tank or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. If it's involuntary, the code with the police is I have a 302. 302. Uh -huh. You know, murder's a 187. I have right. a, 382, a 302. My mother 302'd me so many times I was 906. Wow. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> she could not get me into rehab fast enough. He came out, you know, I would go to rehab. Like, like most kids go to summer camp, yeah. you know, like I, she would just ship me to rehab and then it was mental facility and it was this. And, you know, so the, the seed was planted. I never got to that because it wasn't really predominant in my story of my first two or three mm -hmm. rehabs. 
because it wasn't it was as soon as I got out, I went right back right to, right it. Back right. to it. Mm-hmm. And after 14 days, I learned the system. I could leave. I could walk out against my parents, you mm-hmm. know, or guardian. And then I turned 18, and I couldn't be 302 anymore. So mom couldn't mm-hmm. send me oh, away. God, right. Um, but you know when when but my mother was my also my number one fan. Mm-hmm. She was the first cheerleader. You know, mom would when I would come home from beauty school. And now I have, you know, I'm truant. I was truant from school. I was, I had, you know, oh. constables after me. I had all the legal precedents that came with it. You know, mom would, mom would, pay, you know, this is when we had pagers. Mom would page me 911 not to come home because there were three cops, cops sitting out. on yeah. the block wow. waiting wow. for me to come home. And mm. then I was going to get, right. so mom was my number one fan. She wow. was my, my number one she rooted me on harder than anybody mm. could, wow. but, but from a distance because right. it was from work. It was right. from a support level that she just felt like, all right, this one, I'm losing grasp of this. Right. One. Um, that at some point in there, she also had a huge battle. I don't have children yet, mm. but I can imagine you reach a point where it's like, okay, you just got to go. Like you got to yes. go, you got to yeah. something, whatever, you know, let go and let God, yeah. you know, that was yeah. my mom's uh, mom finally let go and let God. So the turning point for me was now I had a little bit of rehab in me, uh, but I had a whole lot of ignorance mm-hmm. and a whole lot of teenage, you know, mm-hmm. so it was just all the, all that Great combo. You, you couldn't tell me anything. <laughs> right. Right. But my experiences and where I was when I looked in the mirror, couldn't lie. Mm-hmm. I knew I had a problem. Right. I knew that this isn't recreational. This isn't fun. This isn't, I'm just having a good time. This isn't experimental. Mm-hmm. This is, you're fucked up. Right. You know, you're putting one line of cocaine up your left nostril, one a, a line of heroin up your right nostril just mm-hmm. to even yourself out. Wow. Something's not right here. Mm-hmm. And it was at that point where um, I knew I had a problem and I knew I had to get the hell out of New York. So mm-hmm. I went back to Pittsburgh and, um, Giuseppe, the guy that uh, had the barbershop. Uh, when I moved back, um, one of one of my biggest mentors in my career was a, was a man named Mickey Lanzino, and Mickey was um, everything that I I just idolized. Mick, mm-hmm. I idolized him. He rode a Harley to work. He fully tattooed, straight guy. Always had the girls. Mm-hmm. Just you know, and he was the guy that I looked up to. And I remember going into the salon in Pittsburgh. And Giuseppe and Mickey booked a fake client on my books so that I would get there early. Mm. It was like an 8 a.m. client. And I walked in, and it was just them standing there. And uh, they said, come on, we're taking a trip. And they put me in the back of the car, and they took me to, they took me to rehab. Oh, wow. And they were like, it's time. Like, you're, yeah, you're going down. Right. Now, at this time, Giuseppe had, I think Giuseppe had like 12 years sober. Mm. Mickey had like 18 years clean. Mm. So these guys were in recovery, you know, and they saw me in this place. So they took me and Mm -hmm. that's when I knew that point, that was the turning point. That was a really long answer to a very Mm -hmm. descript question, but that was my turning point um, of knowing that I had a problem. Now that didn't stop. Mm -hmm. It just ignited the fire that went on Mm -hmm. for more years, went through more rehabs. I've been in nine detoxes and Mm. I think seven rehabs. Wow. Yeah. Um, wow. Let's 
just go right through addiction. Let's go right through that process and let's just hit my bottom. Mm. And my bottom was, uh, I was sitting on the, on a fire escape. How old were you at this time? I was 23 years old. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I was 23 years old. Back in Pittsburgh. uh, Yes. Uh So I'm sitting on a fire escape and I am on a four or five dayer. Mm-hmm. And all I wanted to do was just blackout. So the only thing that would level me off at that time was tequila. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was rocketed out of my mind and I knew I just needed to come down. So I was just taking tequila and then taking a bump, taking tequila mm-hmm. and taking a bump. Well, that just completely told my heart to just turn off. So I passed out and I woke up. And it was at that point where I realized I don't want to live anymore. Oh. Yeah. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I don't want to go on anymore. I'm done. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't know if I was doing that with, with the speed balls or if I was doing that with the, t- uh, like, I just wanted to turn the lights out for good. Mm-hmm. Like enough is enough. Just you're, you're a piece of shit. Just die. Mm. So I walked into um, my place and I grabbed a, a sheet and I tied it on the, I tied it on the uh, banister right, right. and tied the other part around my neck and I was like, well, I mean, if I'm going to go, I'm going to go fucked up. Mm-hmm. So took two more bumps and, and it was that part that I passed out. So I passed out on the fire escape with a noose. With a sh- yeah. And I was just going to throw myself over. I don't think I would have had the balls to do it, but I wasn't in my right mind. Mm-hmm. So I think at that point that Charlie would have done anything. Right. But my close friend came into the house and my dog uh, and he was heard my dog barking and my dog was sitting there barking at me, barking at me, barking at me. Mm. And I was just, I just passed out. And when I woke up from that, that's when I knew Mm. you got to get clean. Right. Mm. Because if you can't even, if you can fuck it up, killing yourself, (laughs) then you're really a fuck up. If God doesn't even want you, (laughs) (laughs) then, then it's probably time you get clean. Yeah. So he took the noose off my neck and took me to a, I spent like three or four days in a mental facility, mm-hmm. making sure I wasn't a harm to myself. And then I, uh, then I started the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and started getting sober. Can, can I ask you a question about that moment? If you don't mind, was the driver of that, I'm going to, I'm, I'm just going to end it. Was it a lonely feeling was it, I mean, did you feel lonely in that moment that you just thought? If the- you can have every single negative feeling and emotion uh. set down on you, it was that. It was the weight of everything below, how are you doing? I'm okay. Whatever's below okay, it was all of that just sitting on you. It was, there was just no purpose for me to live anymore. Uh. I didn't have a purpose anymore. Yeah. And thinking back on that day and thinking back on preparing myself, walking into, walking into the bed, pulling the sheet off, I'll never forget that feeling. I don't remember much of before then because it was such a long binge, but I remember walking, pulling the sheet off. Like, you just don't deserve it. Mm. Going through the motions, feeling that, knowing I, I can feel the sheet on my hands, I can feel the sweat on my palms, I can feel the, the, the uh, hot concrete on or the hot uh, metal of the fire escape 
burning the back of my life. I mean, I can go through every sense of that moment and knowing that I was very much ready. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to die. I -hmm. was, I wanted to, there was no, I wasn't so fucked up that that's all that was left. It was just, I wanted to die. And the only thing that said you saved you was more drugs, more drugs, more drugs. Let's party. So, it was at that time that a friend of mine, uh, best friend that I grew up with, he was moving to Dallas. Mm. I went to rehab, had like 30 days. I got, spent 30 days, got sober, came out, but knew that I needed to get the hell out of Pittsburgh. Right. And I wasn't going back to New York. Okay, so let me ask you this. Yo. You got out. Let's say this time you got out. What, was, what did you feel like? Because you had to dry out. You had, I mean... What was that process like? Tell, I mean, walk us through that. Well, number one, the process was I was, 20, I was 23 or 20. I was 24. It was 2004. And I was so young. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know my elbow from my asshole, but I knew it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if there was one thing I knew is, is I, couldn't, I couldn't start drinking again. It it was like, I can't do crack, I can't do heroin, I can't do coke, but I definitely can't start drinking again Mm -hmm. because drinking was going to catapult into more. You know, anytime I Mm -hmm. ever tried to just drink, I always wanted more. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew what was beyond two beers. You know, as soon as you had two beers in the woods with your buddies, I was calling, I was on the Hill District copping dope. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I couldn't drink Mm -hmm. and I couldn't do it successfully. So I did, I just went like every day, I just woke up and said, today I'm not going to drink. It wasn't about the narcotics because the disease of addiction comes at you in so many different ways and mm. manifests in the littlest ways. It tells me that I should have a glass of Chardonnay. Mm. I can't even spell Chardonnay. Right. You know, what, do right. I, what would I ever be doing drinking Chardonnay? Mm. But it told me Chardonnay would be okay. Like you'd be mm. okay just drinking white wine. Yeah. Just drink white wine. Um, so I knew that if I just woke up every day and told myself, today I'm going to stay clean. Today, I'm going to stay sober. Not worry about tomorrow. Um, At that point, my dark, it got so dark. And the bottom being killing myself that I knew that if I chose to drink again, that I was going to kill myself. Mm -hmm. So do you want to live today or do you want to die? I chose life. And it was just every day. And then all of a sudden, it was 30 days. It was six months. Mm -hmm. It was a year I'm like two years. Now I'm starting to put time together. Right. But I only, I also knew that I could never have done it without removing people, places and things. Mm. And Mm. all of those were on the Northeast. So you had to get out. I had to get out. I had to leave the Northeast. So what was that move to Dallas like? So it was, uh, uh, my best friend of childhood. And he said, uh, I'm, he was taking a job in Dallas Mm. and he worked for, um, big corporate company, big corporate finance team. And they were giving them a reload package. And I was like, I don't even know what a real, what is this? And, (laughs) you know, I learned that that was something where they, you know, basically paid for his move and bought him an apartment. And he Mm -hmm. says, listen, you'll just live with me for the first year. My company's paying for it. Perfect. And that's what I did. So moved to Dallas and I didn't know a soul here. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was the most amazing feeling leaving that behind. Mm-hmm. But then I'm hit with a geographic change. You know, what do I say when somebody says I'm ready for, I need a change. I need a change. Well, you know, the problem 
is always in between your two years. So mm-hmm. no matter where you end up, it's yeah. you're going, it's <laughs> going with you. So right. I found that yeah. later, but, um, you know, I, 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 um, I didn't know how much I needed to get out of the Northeast until I ended up in Dallas mm-hmm. and I got to Dallas and at that time I've built a nice career for myself in New York. Like I was doing a lot of, a lot of great hair. I had mm-hmm. a big resume. I had a great portfolio and I had a name, mm-hmm. I had a name in Manhattan. So here I come, big swinging dick. Charlie's yeah. going to just show up in Dallas and just, yeah, it wasn't the same. Nobody gave a shit about what you did in New York. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. it, nobody even knew what 57th Street was, you right. know, and if they did, they would, they only knew, you know, certain places. They knew the Rockettes, they knew Times Square, but they didn't understand right. the New York City mentality. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, oh, wow, now I'm really behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, I had I had worked a couple jobs in, as an assistant with Charlize Theron. Oh yeah, and Charlize was coming to Dallas in it was in two thousand nine, where Dallas had the it was it was a one off. It was one year where they had um, a film the film festival a, a film festival mm-hmm. and they had it down at uh, it was before it was victory but they had it down there they had all these tents and Charlize was coming in to do whatever film she was do- i believe at the time it was monster mm. oh, yeah. and so richard was working with Charlize, and richard was back in australia Charlize was or you know her agent was looking for a guy well do you remember that guy that worked with richard in new york yeah send him so perfect mm. i was the backup that that, right. that ended up going well it just so happens that uh there was a photograph taken of me and charlie's in us and us weekly so that got around mm-hmm. you know the news started chattering that there was this guy that hung out with Charlize and he's now a hairdresser in Dallas, Mm. but nobody knew him. He didn't work for anybody in Dallas. So, and at that time I wasn't working for anybody. I was just teaching. I was just Mm kind of going from salon to salon, just teaching, Mm -hmm. trying to find a salon to call home. Right. And, um, found a salon, stayed there for about a year, kind of just learning Dallas, learning what my industry looked like here. I knew what it looked like in, you know, in, 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 metropolitan new york city but i had no idea what it looked like in dallas and then i just realized it was the environment that i didn't want i didn't want to be in this salon this wasn't my these weren't my people right so then i just said fuck it let's just let me just go lease an apartment and i'll turn it into a hair salon (laughs) and i'll call it hair by charlie seems logical You had to raise any money. My name's Charlie. I do hair. No, and and you know, here's the thing. At this time, I I was I was teaching, so I at least had models. I had maybe 25 girls that I had in my phone as clients, and mm-hmm. I knew that I could, you know, if if I charged this person eighty dollars for a haircut every six weeks, times that by twice a month, times mm. that by, I could afford this much in rent. Right. So I found that rent number. Mm-hmm. And then I knew this chair would cost me this much. I knew I could just put a mirror and, and grab a blow dryer, grab a bu- couple tubes of hair color. Right. And I knew, all right, I'll just wing it. Right. And I did. I just winged it. Um, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But I did it in a place that uh, made me very unobtainable. It was downtown Dallas, right next to the municipal building. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was on top of a famous, it was where all the judges and cops ate. Uh, it was a place called the Metropolitan Cafe, the Metro Cafe. 
right on the corner of Maine and Pearl. It's still there today. But it was on the top of this building, and it was on the seventh floor. And I just decided I'm going to lease that. I'll take that space. It was like $700 a month. Nobody Mm. wanted this space, (laughs) trust me. Um, There was no parking. There was no... um, I didn't have a phone. I had a Microsoft Office appointment scheduler that mm-hmm. I would just text people and we would, I had nothing, I had no, there wasn't even an address because here's the thing. I didn't know that in order to open a business, you had to open it through the city. city yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You had yeah. to go to the city and like get a permit and oh, yeah. you know, yeah. have an address. Yeah. Right. It's gotta be official. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I wasn't, I did, didn't do any of that. So yeah. there was no phone. There was no, um, there was an elevator. You just took the elevator to the seventh floor and when you got off, it opened into my uh-huh. thing. Well, and all of a sudden, word just started getting out. Mm-hmm. You know, Charlie, Charlie. And I was a couple blocks away from Neiman Marcus. So then mm-hmm. it was just like, you know, who's this guy that's just tucked away? He's, you know, right. doing really pretty hair. And, you know, at this time I was in Dallas. I was going back to New York for Fashion Week. I was going to Paris for Fashion okay, Week. You're so still I still traveling. maintained that okay. presence. Right. Because that was the only thing that was paying my bills right. at the time, mm-hmm. you right. know. Right. So I was still traveling. I was still doing that in Dallas. But um, then I just started building a, a clientele. And mm-hmm. like I said earlier, I alluded to women talk. And that's exactly what just kept happening was word of mouth, word of mm-hmm. mouth, word of mouth. Um, then I knew in order to look the part, I needed to have assistance. Right. So now I, I couldn't even get myself on a, a payroll, quote unquote payroll, but I needed to have assistance to make me look legit. Right. Like I couldn't be washing my own hair. Right. Like right. I, I, I couldn't be... <laughs> You know, sweeping my own floor. Right. I needed somebody else to do it for me. Yeah, look the part. I right? gotta look the part. So right. then I brought. I went to the beauty school and I grabbed two girls that were in beauty school and I said, "Listen, I'll pay two hundred bucks cash every week if you come assist me." Why these girls said they would, I have no <laughs> idea. I think it was just I was a handsome, good-looking guy whenever yeah. I was, yeah. you know, whenever I was 24 years old, 25 years old. So, you know, let's go. You know, they came in and they would make tips off my clients. And mm-hmm. those girls ended up staying, those two assistants ended up staying with me for four years down the road. Oh, wow. man. Great first hires. Great first hires. <laughs> wow. And they put up with everything. And as did my clientele. No mm-hmm. parking, no phone. No, they just, you know, came they, up they and I coming. built this business and I... I built it in the worst place you could. If you mm-hmm. could build a business where I built it, right. you could build a business anywhere. Right. right. So um, with that, that's what took me, that's what kind of catapulted me into, you know, the next, you uh-huh. know, more official. The great thing was, is I had a great barbering background. So I had a gift of gab with guys too. I was a straight mm-hmm. male. I grew up on the football field. I could handle myself mm-hmm. in any male conversation, except when it came to business. Mm-hmm. I just had no idea. I didn't have a. I didn't business have background, that at right. all. Right. So I started getting these male clients that were were. One was a lawyer, and then he referred another guy who was a developer, and this developer, you know, had a VC, and then I started getting all these suits. You know, in New York, we call them the suits. You know, the suits are coming, all the Wall Street guys making their way back uptown. And so I started getting all these suits, but little did I know at these time, I wasn't wasn't cutting their hair for money. I was cutting their hair for my education. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... 
here comes my high school education. I got it in one year cutting hair, and it was, um, you know, Ryan Kaiser, who is now the vice president of CBRE. Oh, it yeah. Was, uh, yeah. It was uh, Tim Heddington. Yeah, Heddington, yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, one Heddington, of, you know, Forbes' yeah. billionaires. Yeah. It was Melbourne O'Banion, who owns a amazing life insurance company. It was mm-hmm. all of these males had this part in my life, but they were coming in for a haircut. But I was so excited because I was getting, I was going to class. I was going to class. I was learning. Isn't that what, crazy, man? Well, you, you said it yeah. perfect. That was, your, that was your high school. That was yeah. your education. 100% it was. But here's the thing. I knew it. Oh, knew you it. actually knew and it. And I knew it. Yeah. So That's I was better. running. I learned then, okay, I have to, I have to do QuickBooks. Okay, so I started every day. I would record haircuts on paper and post-its. Okay, one man's haircut you know, $60. And I would tuck that post-it in where at the end of the night, I would just take all my post-its out and I would dump them. And those were my receipts. Mm. So I would put them into QuickBooks. Okay. QuickBooks, QuickBooks, QuickBooks. Well, at some point in this time, somebody told me that you would, somebody, nobody taught me or nobody said, you have to pay taxes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's something you just know. Right. Okay. Well, this guy didn't know that right. that was something. So, um, I filed my tax. I filed for my taxes, uh-huh. but they said you've never paid. Mm. Oh, so there's yes. a hundred and thirteen thousand dollar tax debt oh. over twenty four months. So yeah, I was gaining for all these services, but uh-huh. services were taxed, and yeah, I w- QuickBooks was telling me to charge tax, so I was yeah. charging, but it would just went straight into the bank yeah, account. So you, it was sold. I tell you, man, that that white dude with that American flag, yeah. he, he's a monster. So I learned, <laughs> I, I learned very early how to. Um, I, I learned that part, but what, going back into these gentlemen that I had, um, you know, they were coming in for a haircut, but the student was president. Mm. I was ready. I knew the questions I needed to ask without sounding dumb. You know, I had to learn what an ROI was. You know, how do I gain an ROI on a business? You know, kind of speaking, well, you first have to build a business and then you generate income and there's your return on your investment. Return on investment. Return on investment. Write it down. Post it. Write it down. Post it. Got it. Got that. ROI. You know, and then I started learning, uh, you know, when you have the LLC, you're, you know, you're limited liability. Limited liability company. LLC need an LLC. Escorts, sole corporate. And I just started putting all of these terms with phrases. And then I started, that's when I realized, wow, I just got the best education in the year that people go to business school will never, ever Yep. have the opportunity to learn mm. they'll be able to learn it but 90 percent of them aren't going to use it mm-hmm. so it was then that i found it was a client of mine and i knew that i needed to move out of this location and get to somewhere where it was you know i could be charlie i could be you right. know, have a little bit of a name well it was mckinney avenue yeah, I had to be on McKinney oh, Avenue because perfect. McKinney Avenue oh, was yeah. where it was at. <laughs> yeah, it was fucking bumping on McKinney yeah. Avenue. There was the two nightclubs I was next to, and then there was all the restaurants and McKinney Avenue, and that was uh, that was like 2009, 2010. Yeah. For so, those who don't know McKinney yeah, Avenue, yeah, McKinney Avenue was is, the is was uptown Dallas. Yeah, so. it was yeah. the spot. It's uh, where you want to be doing what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it was filled with it was SMU mm-hmm. after SMU. Right. And, you know, Southern Methodist University, yeah. it was college after college. college Basically, exactly. you got your, 
you know, one bedroom apartment that you spent way too much money on, but you were right in the scene. (laughs) You know, there was just, it was, it was everything that you wanted to be. And it was, I needed to put myself there. And one of my clients at that time said, you know, how much will it take? You know, how many, how many mirrors do you need? How many chairs do you need? So I built a, um, I built a a business model, business Mm. plan. And I built it on napkin, um, on a, uh, metropolitan cafe napkin because it was one of those long diner napkins so i could get a lot on it It was trifold i'm not kidding i filled a napkin with my business business plan plan. and i just went down to that cafe every day and just kind of put you know mirrors are going to cost me this much so this guy gave me fifteen thousand dollars to buy my hardware buy my three chairs that i needed you know buy the mirrors and that was my first Mm. investor Mm -hmm. and he told me you have 24 months to pay this $15,000 back to me. That's easy. I got that. And that's when the business started to grow. But it wasn't until I moved to McKinney Avenue that I realized none of my clients live in Uptown. (laughs) (laughs) None Uh, of my clients are Uptown girls. Right. You know, and um, so I'm still new on the block, but I'm now working at, I actually go work the door at a nightclub. Um, called mink do you remember no, mink? Mean, it was uh, on exposition it was on exposition park down in fair park and oh, yeah, i was I working the door there and it was a hot spot and it was me just passing out business cards huh. developing a network and i started just filling the salon i mean i learned so damn much in that place but the biggest catalyst of learning and educating was i had a horrid landlord he mm. was the worst right um and it could be in that area. Yeah. Oh, he I could had be a an terrible ass. landlord. Yeah. yeah. I hope he's listening to this. <laughs> um, and then fast forward four years. So now we're in 2012. Yeah, 12, 13. A guy walks into the salon and he said, I would like to bring your salon, what you have now, to the design district. Mm. And I said, I don't even know where the design well, district, district is. is right. Design right. District. Sounds cool. <laughs> Sounds cool. Design <laughs> district. Sounds cool. Um, and he was a suit. And it was just, it was odd. I didn't understand. What had you met, met him never, in the past? Never had met him He just before. walked in. Yeah, just walked in. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, your fancy suit on. I knew, I knew he was somebody, but mm-hmm. it was just a suit in my eyes. So that deal went a little bit further. And I got some ideas of what was happening from other uh, mentors along mm-hmm. the way. And basically, it was uh, Mike Avalon, who was the uh, huge developer. Right. Yeah. Mike yeah. bought um, <laughs> the uh, design district from the Perot family, uh-huh. you know, who was developing old Parkland yeah. at that time. So they sold all that land to Mike, and Mike had this master vision of what the design district mm-hmm. was going to look like. Now, this is back when you needed a protractor to get around right. in the design district. Right. I think there was still a security booth. Like, you know, if you didn't, if you weren't to the trade, like there was do that not enter. Yeah, exactly. uh, so there was just, it was very remote. Yeah. But um, this guy trusted me. He liked me and I liked him. So it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, let's, whatever. You're going to buy me out of my lease. You're going to spend all this money to get me uh-huh. there. Fine, do it. So that's why I moved into the design district. And that's where our business just it's exploded. Exploded. Huh? That's when... Um, is it due to location or was it due to the fact that... That's it, when Charlie became somebody. Okay. Charlie was yeah. now being talked about and Charlie was a, a thing. Right. And at that time, it was just it was just hair by Charlie. And uh, we moved that brand to the design district. 
And at this time I had, I think I had seven employees, mm-hmm. uh, people cutting hair. So we just kind of outgrew each space. And um, then we had a bunch of assistants and we knew that we could make the move and make mm-hmm. it in a, we could make it and do okay and right. learn, continue to learn as we go. But that was zero to a hundred. When mm-hmm. we moved from McKinney Avenue to the design district, that was, I mean, uh, we went up almost 250% in one year wow. um, just from word of mouth and, you know, the, yeah. the extension of where our team was going. Yeah. You know, we were developing a team. And uh, fast forward today, that's still where we're at. We've now moved locations. Right. Uh, we were operating with seven uh, employees. Now we have nine, 22 in our Dallas location, 25 mm-hmm. in our Dallas location. Um, and I have learned so much along the way and continue to right. learn so How long so have you been clean, Charlie? Along the way. I got clean in 2004. Um, I got clean on my mother's birthday. Man. Wow. That's the first time I've said that since she's passed. So Man. give me a minute with that. Yeah. August 19th, 2004, uh, I, got, I got clean. So this will be 16 years. Oh, man. Wow. That's awesome. It's bro. awesome. That is awesome. It's awesome. You know, that's yeah. my biggest blessing. I mean, yeah. I would be, you know, I can, I have great salons. I have a great team. Yeah. I have everything that I could, I have an amazing wife. I have a house. I have everything that I could, but I would have none of it mm-hmm. if I still had the drink and the drug in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And all of it, none of it would be there. <laughs> you, you know, what's so encouraging about listening to your story is you did just about everything wrong you could do. And, and I, I don't mean that negative. I just mean there was no. A lot. I'm just trying to think if there was anything I missed. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I got it all. No, I just mean there were a lot of screw ups along the way. And yeah. we think these people that are super successful, like you and Darren, and, and people we see on you know Instagram, that they've always just made every move perfectly, yeah. and everything was was just awesome along their journey. But the the best thing you did is you just kept going, and you just kept putting one foot in front of the day after day, and you just kept trying and showing up. Yeah. And it led to Correct. what you're doing today. Correct. And to me, that's just such an encouragement because I have the worst case of paralysis by an, or an, whatever that paralysis by analysis. analysis. Yeah. Yes. Thinking I have to have everything, everything lined up, yep. everything has to be perfect. Yep. And your story and stories like yours encourage me that just get started, man. Right. You yeah. don't have to have all the answers. Just go. It's easier said than done. Sure. But when you Definitely. come from. When you came from the deepest, darkest, when you, when you had a noose wrapped around your neck, yeah, mm. yeah. you can't get much. It can't get much worse, right? Right. 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 I mean, what? I'm going to lose some money. Yeah, perspective. Okay, yeah. you know. So, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say just fake it till you make it and work hard. Yeah. I mean, when you were that low, yeah. You know, I remember in that in your previous the one of your previous podcast with the gratitude. You were talking about uh, when you went to. Uh, when you were in school, when you were in college, and you got the—I didn't go to college, so I don't know what the card was that gives you meals. The pl- oh, uh, 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 meal uh, ticket. The, uh, the meal ticket card. Right. You yeah. You, yeah. you alluded to it in the in this podcast, and you said, um, you know, that there were other kids that were like, ah, oh, the chickens, you know, the chickens dry, or mm. the, the pasta's not. There's not enough sauce on the pasta. Mm. But until you ate shit, <laughs> you don't realize <laughs> you don't, yeah. how good things yes, are. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it, I'm never going to be one of those leaders that looks at my team and says, you just got to fake it till you make it. Right. No, 
because not everybody went through that. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, that's my story. That's how I did it. Yours is going to be different and that's okay too. That's a great point. Mm -hmm. You know, but until for me, until, I mean, I ate shit for long enough that once I started to see what was coming from taking risks, it became easier to take the risk. Yeah. So, so, and and I'm, I don't know. It seems like you're not one to say I've arrived. I'm here now, but now that you're in, the place that you are today and as successful as you are. Yeah. I always ask, and I'm always curious about this. Does it feel as good as what you hoped it would feel like? I don't know how to answer that. Um, I think I can answer that in the sense is I do what I love every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the definite. I don't give a shit what Webster says, but if you can do what you love every day and make a living doing it, then you're successful. Yeah. Yeah. We always, it comes, doesn't, <laughs> I don't be a, you, know, <laughs> you know, it's, I've been, I've had the opportunity to, uh, to do so much and to have so much. And, you know, my wife and I, um, had, a, had this talk the other, you know, it's like, I could open, I could open 300 more salon. I have backers mm-hmm. on backers on backer. I have mm-hmm. people jumping over people to give me money. Right. You know, but you find this part in your life where right. you feel good about it. Yeah. I mean, I feel good. And I'm not one of those. I worked my fucking ass off mm-hmm. to get to where I'm at today so that I can pass it down to my team. Right. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with Charlie anymore. Charlie, I've been there, done that. I, I forgot more about hairdressing mm-hmm. than most people know. Mm-hmm. But when I see... Um, a girl that started with me, she moved here from South Carolina mm-hmm. and was looking for a change and resourced me and put her faith in me and came to me and apprenticed me and now is making half a million dollars a year being a hairdresser. That's the joy. That wow. gives me joy. That's the joy. That Aaron gives me joy. That, that's I joy. love yeah. payday. Wow. Yeah. You know, if there's one, it, one thing with delegation that I hope that I never lose in my business is signing paychecks mm-hmm. not because i'm signing the paycheck right. yes it's nice being you know the, the signer, signer of the pie right. check oh, yeah. but it's i want people to do well around yeah. me Man. that's yeah. that's what get, that's what gets me going now you know oh, it's yeah. not about charlie's fuck charlie's old i'm 40 now i'm not the mm. young attractive flirt i'm just i'm old new i've but at the same time when i look around that room and i see 22 girls and guys having a career, getting the things, being, you know, enjoying what they do. That's what I get off on that. Yeah. That's, that's the fun part for me. And, you know, it is kind of odd because I have, you know, a team of 42 between Dallas and Fort Worth. And, you know, I have a bunch of very beautiful girls that work for me. You Mm -hmm. know, they're a very attractive young women and they all call me dad. (laughs) And it's kind That's of humbling. weird whenever it happens in a situation where it's like me and Darren would be having a you know yeah. conversation or me and Tiffany, my client, would be having a conversation and I have two of them. Hey, Dad, do you mind if we go? <laughs> it's like, guys, like, there's no, a lot of stuff yeah. going on with those words. <laughs> it's 2021. No, but you know what? I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Man. I love that they look at me and that, and that to me is the part that keeps me yeah you know, it, go, it, it goes day. back to what we say every week yeah. it's service of people that's it so we had dinner 
what, a few months ago at uh, Lover Seafood. Yeah. And it was, you know, it's the first time I actually met you in person. Yeah. And Tiffany knows how big I am on, like, being a servant, just having a servant spirit, right? And, brother, you walked up with your lovely wife, mm-hmm. and I could just see it in you. And the conversation we had, I mean, we had – that that day went flew by, and you owe me another dinner. But that that day flew by, brother. That you, night, you did buy that dinner. I do. No, I know. Do I? Did I? Yeah, you. Did no, buy. you did. No, you bought. Well, yeah. I, okay, yeah, I did. Yeah, hey, that's I'll, it. that's I'll right. Come too, but anyway, the, it, the conversation went by too fast because I could see it in, in you, and that's the reason why I wanted you on the show, Charlie. Because because people hadn't people need to hear your story, mm-hmm, man. Mm-hmm. Like that's you're being selfish not sharing this story. You need yeah. to write a book. Yeah, and I, you know, I just don't look at my look at it that way. I just look at it in the sense of, hey, here's here's the cards you were given. Here's mm-hmm. the hands that you played. You played some bad ones. You played some good ones. Yeah. But you know what? Today I wake up with a smile on my face every That's goddamn right. day. I look at the obituaries and I'm not in it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's go. Let's we'll figure the rest is the yeah. rest will figure itself out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. I I know where this is probably the longest podcast. You didn't realize what it was going to be like having a hairdresser with a gift oh, no, of yeah, did. on yeah, your, on your podcast. Um, <laughs> but you know, here's, here's one bit of backstory, you know, in my childhood, I was, um, my father being a football coach and, mm-hmm. you know, growing up in Pittsburgh, you know, some of my fondest memories are sitting there with my grandfathers and my father watching Steelers on Sunday, mm-hmm. you know, the, pretty much the town of Pittsburgh stops on Sundays. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was born in 81. So the 80s Pittsburgh Steelers were just, uh, they were just overshadowed by the 70s Steelers, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and my father lived in those great days of, you know, Jack Lambert, Jack Hamm, you know, yeah. uh, Bradshaw. And that just came into my life, mm-hmm. you know, as a Steeler fan. And I was born but i was raised to hate that blue star yeah yeah, yeah. i was raised I, I, to hate I, it I, hate I, it i understand hate that. it i understand that so my first my first experience with the dallas cowboys came in the it was the 1996 super bowl mm. yeah how would that how did that work out for you i'm just asking how did that work out for you <laughs> where were you that day <laughs> Hey, let's what, go back to tell what, that story. Yeah. Who, was, who was the defensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys? Uh, Dave Campo at the time. It was Dave. Yep. So between him and Larry Brown, how much money, how much money did they lose? <laughs> I mean, because hey, hey, Neil O'Donnell hey. threw three picks. Mm-hmm. Two to Larry. Two, two to Larry. Two to Larry. Larry, Larry yeah. was MVP, yes, right? Yeah, Larry got the was MVP, MVP and all. Yeah. I just want to know how much they, they paid Neil. I mean, it was you know, it was twenty you, yard slant routes you know, in zone coverage. You know, look, you I, cannot. I, I, you I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this, and you know football better than anybody. You've been around it all. Your I do. Life. I, yes, I do. You do. So again, they, there there was one that Neil shouldn't have thrown, but the other one, his wide receiver broke off the route. He broke off the. We watched I, I, I the film, watched. and we knew what they were going to run. Watched the film. We knew what they Cow, were running. Cowboy fans and cowboys, they run different film. Yeah, <laughs> you know they only see they, they have one camera. You know what I love? It's like Instagram now. It's yeah. like getting catfish. Yeah, that you get filter. Your, yeah. Yeah. You get the they filter. live in there. They but live. This is what I do like about Neil. Neil didn't throw anybody under the bus. He never threw his wide receiver 
under the bus, in which he could have easily have Absolutely. said, hey, no, because well, he, he, that I wasn't remember, his fault. The but second that was, one was also, let me, let me then say, you know, I was, but that was 96, so I was 15, 16, 15, 14, 15 years old. So I knew enough about the game at this point. You know, I'll always tell, I, whenever I have a child, I hope to, whether it's a girl or a boy, I hope to coach football mm-hmm. at some point. Right. Because, you know, I will sit and watch a football game and You're I can die. I mean, yes. I, I grew up in the film room. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. know exactly what's going to happen. Right. Um, the game has evolved, but it hasn't evolved that, that much. much. Right. 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 You still run the So same. at the same time, um, you know, I remember the season that the Cowboys had. And you guys, the, the 96 Cowboys, mm-hmm. it was, what was your record that year? Do you remember what your record we was? Like 11 and 5. We weren't was that it? good. You weren't that good, yeah, we but that I didn't good. even think it was that good. No, yeah, we were uh, it was ups and downs mm-hmm. and over and outs. And um, but I'll never forget the heartbreak that I felt because that was my first experience mm-hmm. that my father had in the seventies. Mm. So then it was sheer hatred for the Cowboys. Yeah, should be sheer you hatred know, for the Cowboys. That's all. You know what? What I'll do is. I'll bring my super, that Super Bowl ring in. I should have wore it today. I don't should've. know why I did not yeah, wear that on, ring. I should have wore it today. Next dinner, I'll wear it. How many Super Bowls do the Cowboys have? Hey, we got, you know what? See, why do you have to go there? <laughs> you only got one more than us. I'm just, this, I, 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 Darren, I just asked you a question. <laughs> hey, Ben, save me. Ask your final question, Ben. <laughs> Love it. It, it might, Love must be time, it time's mu- up. It must not be it as much must, as, as it many must as the Steelers. be getting late. <laughs> hey, it he's, might, old, he's, he's old in here. He's old now. He's got to get, get his early bird it dinner. must be getting late. That's all for now, folks. Yeah. Man. Well, you opened it up, and, and this is the first time we've met. Yeah. And I feel like I've known you forever. You opened it up. This is one of our favorite guests. Yeah. Gonna be I told one of your you. Favorite guests. Man, yeah. I, I'll second that, man. Yeah. That was Thank you so much for your story, I for am, sharing your story, yeah. for coming up here and doing this. This was awesome. I'm honored to share it with uh, – I'm humbled. I, I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, Darren Woodson just asked me to I, – I think my father might be rolling over in his grave uh, right now. But, you know, <laughs> you, Dad, you look, look, look Dad, I made it. Dad, I made it. Look, Dad, I made it. Um, no, with uh, you know, your podcast has such a reach and is a very intelligent podcast, and it's one of those where it's nice to be able to have the ability to share mm-hmm. your experience and experience, strength, and hope with real people, with people yeah. who've been there before. Yeah, you know, with people who've made it, but people that made it from nothing came from something. And uh, so I'm very honored to be on this. You guys have had some great shows. Thank you, brother. Um, yeah. And it continues yeah. to get better. Yes, I mean, absolutely. This is, yeah. I walked in here, I was like, wow, this isn't just like a, you know, uh, AirPod in my ear, and we're going to, this is a full-blown yeah. uh, studio. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, man. I'm yeah, humbled. We're making it thank you. Making it happy. Well, we, we end every, every episode with this question. I'm sure you've heard it before, and I'm very interested in hearing what you're going to say. So if you could go back to any point in your life and tell yourself one thing, doesn't mean necessarily to change anything, but if you just go back and tell yourself one thing, where do you go and what do you tell yourself? Oh, that's, that's easy. I go back to my, I go back to my 16 year old self, wherever, whenever, whenever it was that point where my brother had just kind of 
you know, leapfrog me and seniority with my father, mm-hmm. kind of just looking for that validation. Um, and I would probably go back to him and just say, I love you. Mm. Yeah. Like, it's okay to love you. Like, love mm. yourself. Yeah. Be okay with you. Uh. But at that age, <laughs> you yeah. tell that person nothing. Yeah. I think we can all relate yeah. to that. Yeah. You know, those teenage boy years, there's just sure. things you couldn't say. But I would definitely go back and tell him, I love you. Yeah. Man. You're going to be fine. Mm. That's awesome, man. No better way to end it. Man, we appreciate you, brother. Thank you. That was fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, you're not that was done. fun. We're going to have round tables, and you're going to be on the round tables. So we, oh, we got to. I would love to. I was yeah. going to say, let's get a fourth chair. Are, yeah, yeah, those are yeah. fun. That's a fun format. Yeah. That's yeah. a fun format. Yeah. Awesome. Just let's not, let's keep it with one. Uh, I'll bring in a new prop. No, no, no. We, we have enough. The one that's <laughs> no, right behind your head. We got plenty of shells for Steelers helmet. That's right behind your It looks beautiful. We'll film the next one, and I'll just, I'll wear a prop. Yeah. Just wear a Bye, Charlie. Hey, we had a great time today. See you guys next week.